We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, as usual, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. All of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks so much for listening, for tweeting, for sharing, for emailing, for everything that you do. Now, on to my guest for today, Brian Wallace, founder of NowSourcing, an award-winning infographic design agency. Brian, who has been in his business for 15 years, is in the third iteration of his company's focus. He started out in tech, but moved into marketing when he realized people needed more guidance on how and why to use tech. When he set about to provide social media, he realized he needed to get more focused and has since built a successful company based on the creation of infographics. He's now sought out by big brands to help them create awesome infographics. Brian emphasizes the importance of putting in the work to attain mastery and observes that it's better to be unknown until you have done so much that people are watching you and enabling you to keep your focus on your work. So practice in private, I guess. <laughs> Brian encourages entrepreneurs to consider how they can help rather than focus on what they want, now to focus on building authentic connections. He also cautions against quitting your day job to have some traction in your dream job. Now, let's get better together. Brian Wallace, welcome to the podcast. Yes, sir. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. I've really well, been looking forward to this today. Yeah, no, me too, man. Me too. I mean, you run a company called Now Sourcing. Um, we met through a random cold email that you reached out to me to post something on my blog. And ever since, you've just been a fountain of knowledgeable, infographic, storytelling through picture. I don't even know what you do, but it's awesome. So <laughs> definitely dig a little more into that. And um, But before we do... Why don't you uh, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? You betcha. So like you said, I'm Brian Wallace. I'm the founder and president of NowSourcing. We actually, depending on when you're listening to this, we just celebrated our 15th year in business. And I would tell you that we're really in our third revolution in what we do for a living. So nowadays, just like you said, we do infographics, but we I'm sure we'll deep dive into what that actually means. That doesn't just mean I'm an idiot and I just make templates all day. The purpose of why we do it is everything where we're really just simplifying the ideas of the world by making them simple, visual, and influential. And we'll tease all that out in just a little bit. So that's revision three, like I said. Revision two, probably about 13 years ago, was all things social. 
The problem with doing all things social is that there's too many freaking things to do. So we had to kind of pick a specialty after a while. We were one of the first places in the world to do infographics around mid 2008 or so. And even before that, and this is really where the genesis of the name now sourcing comes from. It's kind of a play on words about outsourcing and offshoring and near shoring and near sourcing and now sourcing to kind of be a portable fractional CTO kind of a thing. After I was in a variety of organizations for about a decade in technology. The thing that I find about technology is that technology is great <laughs> when it works and when it doesn't, everybody's in a really bad mood and if you're the tech guy, everybody's just going to be angry at you. Like you're just supposed to magically make everything work all the time. I find that a lot of technology really needs a lot more marketing, really needs a lot more understanding. People need to understand why the things are there to serve their life as opposed to knowing all of the stuff, right? Like just think about like any consumer electronic thing in your house. Where are you going to like read hundreds of pages of an instruction manual or do you just turn the thing on, right? So that was kind of how I got into marketing. And that's the the forward and backward of that. Cool. Cool. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what really resonates with me about all the stuff that you, uh, you know, share with me so I can publish on the daily MBA. It's always so well thought out and it's always clear, concise, and compelling content that tells a really simple story. And of course I'm all in, everyone knows that listens to the show. I'm a big storyteller guy. I love telling stories about technology. I think the best story wins. And I also think that clear, concise and compelling communication is what we need to do more of. And I think that's marketing's job. It's not to, you know, like product price, promotion place, and let's like, you know, circumvent the dominant paradigm and coalesce the vapors of human existence into a tangible form oh, so people will buy us. kidnapped by the buzzword? <laughs> the buzzword. No, don't join the dark side. That's kind of like advertising too, right? Exactly. With a pile of cash yeah. can force things in front of your eyeballs and not convince you. But the whole point of marketing is to give people more helpful, empowering advice on making their own decisions. Yes. I wish people would bother to play the long game, sounds kind of dirty, but bother to care enough about their audience to make an impact. Something that I've really been preaching a lot lately, when people think about a funnel, right? Like a top of funnel awareness thing and a middle of funnel where there's interest and then bottom of funnel where you start having clientele. The problem that most people actually face is that they're top of the funnel as an entire industry, forget about their share of voice and their share of market, is too small. So if you are a space alien and you've never heard of ice cream, how the heck are you supposed to walk into the ice cream store? It sounds like something like Dr. Phil would say, but stick with me. How do people know about things that they don't know? Well, that's kind of the job of marketers, right? It's not to sell you garbage. It's to actually give you better ideas about stuff that you'll make the better choices of tomorrow. I like that. Better ideas for better choices tomorrow. Did you uh, like... apply for you? I didn't... <laughs> Did you copyright that yet? <laughs> I guess you can. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. I think that's what I think there's a revolution going on in marketing, actually, because I see it on the PR side as well. And I think it's driven by data um, and driven by this idea of like, well, what's the ROI of all this marketing PR shenanigans in business? I mean, I, I'm always fond of saying, welcome to marketing, two drink minimum, because there's a lot of, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> nice weirdness, right? Like PR is the same way. And, and I think because of ads, because of all of the kind of growth hacking, quantization of, you know, return on advertising, you know, Roja, all the buzzword bingo stuff people are now taking a really hard look at the marketing and PR, which has traditionally been hard to pin down in terms of what's the value of this. Um, and I'm curious, how do you, I mean, you, you have a, a lot of clients, a lot of really big clients you've, you've done, you know, I think one of the best uh, signatures I've ever seen in an email is like, let me tell you about this $67 million basketball player. I'm even paraphrasing, but like, how do you show or tell or tell the story about how effective what you do is? I mean, 
Is it a hard sell? Is it an easy sell? I mean, what? Tell us, walk us a little bit through that. Man, if you have to hard sell, you're in the wrong business because there's just such a better way to get top of mind that people remember what you do and are talking about you when you're not in the room for years and years to come. I mean, I have people that contact us all the time. This is not a brag, but I'm just explaining. We have people coming at us all the time with some of the largest companies on the planet. And I didn't even know that they work there, right? Or like I knew them from a previous life or something. So it's all about kind of building that persona, that brand, that reputation, Imagine a Venn diagram, if you will. I think that a lot of people care about two things and the overlap of it is what we'll call legendary, meaning it almost never happens, not like it's of lore and doesn't happen. So people care about two things primarily when it comes to what you're talking about. One is all the big names, right? So if you look at my website and you look at the client page, yes, there's a gigantic wall of really impressive logos, and that's not there to intimidate you. That's there to say, hey, if all these other huge brands of the, of the world, the titans of industry trusted us, I'm pretty sure we could do an okay job for you too, right? And some people was like, oh, well, we're too small. Well, you know, there's some things that are not as big in there too, just for fairness and startups and whatever. But the other thing that I think a lot of people care about is actually doing great work, right? Because if you took all the garbage out of the Fortune 500, I mean, it's great, but like, and nothing wrong with taking out the garbage. I'm really glad everybody does and waste management's awesome. But you have to do something really notable and amazing regardless of the client name, fancy logo or whatever. And like I said, this is a Venn diagram. So once in a while and very rarely do we all get the opportunity to do something amazing for a big brand. Because let's face it, y'all, unless you are running a very, very large company a lot of people who work with some of these large brands are doing little parts of things, not enormous parts of it. Make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. I think it's, uh, I think it's what, um, what I've always kind of thought about when it comes to a kind of a good story, right? I mean, there's, you know, Aristotle came up with this sort of rhetorical kind of framework, right? The pathos, the logos and the ethos. And you know, in order for something to be legendary, you kind of got to hit on all three of those. Um, and being able to do good work because you're not chasing the next buzzword bingo thing, <laughs> you know, the next uh, like trend, you're just sort of focusing on the process and the work in the process. I mean, this is the same thing for writers. I mean, everyone gets frustrated as a writer because you sort of toil in your process of creation. And most people don't care until you hit on some, you know, you, you hit on some spark of greatness, but it's because you followed your heart and your passion and your process and you tried to do the best work you could. Yeah. I like that. I, I got to say something in here. Yeah. yeah. I think the world fails when it comes to being patient to attain mastery, right? I can't even tell you how many people think I'm an idiot. They're like, wait, you're still doing infographics. Why would you do that? Don't you know that nobody does that anymore? I'm like, really? So infographics are dead. And I guess blog posts are dead and the internet's dead. And apparently clickbait's dead too. Cause the people who tell you this have a purpose of doing it. Right? Yeah, like they're totally. just trying to cash in on some page views. Right. So I think that sometimes people give up before they truly are among the greatest in the world. Right. It is possible to reach that 1% or 99%, depending on which way you're looking at that mastery. So lots of people can be average and let's say be 50% good at something, right? Whatever it is at X, at marketing something. And then they work a little harder and they get to 60 and 70 and 75 and 80. And most people probably give up by the time they're at like 90%. And then every increment, every micron that you get closer to that long tail of almost reaching 100%, which is impossible, every percentage is like an ocean, right? Yeah. Then you're just competing against some of the greatest minds in the world. And it, you know, nobody just comes out of the womb, like magically knowing marketing and infographics or whatever, right? <laughs> like this no, it's true. Rinse and repeat of creativity, experience, adaptation, and, you know, curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, 
you know, I have a lot of author friends and um, being an author is probably one of the most frustrating kind of professions or whatever, just because, you know, you toil on something for years, sometimes some people decades and, you know, it, it, if it never sees the light of day, of course, you've got the comfort in, oh, well, I've done my, my art. But when you do put it in the light of day and you try to promote it or whatever, I mean, like this podcast is based on the book I wrote in 2017. The thing that's always just completely, <laughs> I don't I wouldn't say depressing. It can be depressing, but just it crushes you is this whole idea of putting yourself out there for your art and then having no one show up. And as any creative process, and I think you nailed it pretty well. I mean, it's a, it's a rinse and repeat. It's a practice. It's sort of like when you're an athlete, most of the time you're practicing, you hardly ever play in the game, honestly. And that practice is the most important thing. I think that's the practice, the discipline of practice that makes greatness. I, I can't think of another way to do it because you only control the effort. Like the outcome is hard to do. I mean, I'm sure you've thought, I mean, because you've, you've done a lot of these sort of storytelling through graphics and infographics. And I'm sure you've probably had like a bunch of them. You're like, oh, this is the best one we've ever done. And then you're like, oh, yeah, no one really wanted to care about that one. But boy, this one we whipped up in five minutes. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. I'd love to see your thoughts on this went quote unquote viral. So do, yes. do oh, you, man. do you I, feel that way? <laughs> you have on this one, uh, just buckle up. Cause I've, I have a lot to say on that. Yes. Yes. Um, please do. I don't want to talk about virality or infographics or books. Something I want to focus on that you touched on that I think is extremely important for everybody to understand is the power that you can create and attain mastery while nobody knows who you are, while you're undiscovered, people think little of you, they talk crap, that like everybody gets the underdog wrong, right? When you look at um, Malcolm Gladwell's book about David and Goliath, not that he came up with the story of David and Goliath, crying out loud, but I'm pretty sure that came out a few thousand years before. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler yes. alert, Spoiler everybody alert. gets it wrong. Everybody yeah. thinks that Goliath the giant is the great one, and David is this the dumb little kid with a slingshot. Well, if you ever read Gladwell's book about it, you got it all wrong. The giant is basically blind and too slow and not nimble. Meanwhile, David has an old school slingshot that has a rock in it that when you rev it up all the way like a professional slingshotter is like some like shooting someone in the head with a 45. So again, who's the underdog? Everybody gets it wrong. So when I'm little and you're big, I can do things and move around in a way that I don't have to explain stuff. So in our early years, when social was brand new, we could do all sorts of stuff and the world wasn't watching with a critical eye. Like, oh, well, is Brian's infographic going to be good or crap or whatever? Right? Nobody even knew what it was yet, right? Like we did some of the first infographics on the planet. <laughs> so I think that, and also even where we physically were, right? Like we were in Louisville, Kentucky, which is not like typically considered like the hotbed of technology and whatever. And a lot of people like laugh at the regions of the South and the Midwest. And they're like, ha ha, these places are dumb. And it's a flyover country. And then meanwhile, if you spend like millions for half a cardboard box in San Francisco, not picking on you. On your mat, <laughs> oh no, pick all you want. It's, a, it's yeah, But I mean, it's like it's the housing prices on the coast and I'm from New York originally are absurd, but not only is it just the pricing and all the traffic and the headaches and whatever, but it's also, you're just on a different stage, right? So it is an incredible blessing in disguise when people aren't watching everything. Nowadays, I mean, I can't say anything without weighing and measuring it, thinking about all of the ramifications that anything that we're going to telegraph out there on social or otherwise. So I think that that is something that people don't think about. Like everybody's in a race to get famous. Being famous for fame's sake is ego and weird and scarcity and not helping and doggy dog garbage dump, like really negative energy life. And that's not the world, right? The world is being influential to help others 
and by helping others, because we live in a beautiful, bountiful world where we can do that. And there's never a limit. So I don't know, really, when you combine being unnoticed and attaining mastery, instead of just trying to be famous and get, you know, just like buy all your blue check boxes, check marks on social, what's the point, right? I just do not understand that. And I think a lot of people, and I know we're probably going to get into this with like the next generation of entrepreneurs, I think a lot of people are in a hurry and they're trying to look at everybody their age, but rather than imagine you're running a marathon. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in okay shape, but I ain't no marathon runner. So this is purely a thought experiment, but imagine two people that are running a marathon. One is looking over their shoulder left and right. The other one's looking forward. The guy who's looking all over the place is might even trip over his own feet. Whereas the other guy's running his own race against his own time. And that's a much healthier framework than worrying about everybody pretending to be happy and famous all the time on social media when they're just showing you a veneer. Oh yeah. That's so true. I mean, the curse of fame is real. Um, you know, I know a bunch of famous athletes um, actually do some work for them on their foundations. And um, they're some of the loneliest people I know because, you know, no one that they don't really know if the people that are interacting with them are actually for them, the person or them, the fame. And while fame and fortune and prestige are good, they're completely fleeting, right? I mean, just look at Elizabeth Holmes, who was the Theranos CEO, who is right now, there's a trial because she it was fraud. I mean, she clearly, that stuff didn't work. And, you know, the cult of personality around her, like the year before they found out about Theranos, she was the, on the Forbes top female, I think she was the first female self-made billionaire, some crazy like notion, right? And the fuel or the um, the chase of that fame clearly made her make decisions that were not ethical at all. <laughs> I mean, it's clear. Like I knew, I've actually knew people that worked there that are like, yeah, this stuff's never going to work. This is just impossible. I can't. Even if you're like a decent person, fame yeah. just can corrupt you. Yeah. And everybody knows, like, if you want to be on Forbes, you just get a copy of Forbes and you Photoshop your face on it. Yeah. Clearly, right? Like, you don't do any work. Did it ever occur to people, like, if Forbes is a top publication of the world, maybe you should be there when it's appropriate. I think a lot of people are racing for all this fame but then they ignore smaller pub publications, blogs, trade publications, industry journals, the local news. I mean, there's so much other work that needs to be done. And no, there isn't really a defining moment, right? A, a lot mm -hmm. of our success is just built on a mountain or really a plateau of micro steps and some wins and lots of losses too. You learn more from failing all over the place too, because then you know what to yeah. do. Hit you really hard, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you're, you're totally right. I'm glad you brought that up about the kind of tier two, tier three media. Because I, I get asked this question a lot when it comes to PR, marketing, but mostly in PR. You know, everyone in the tech world wants, I want to be on TechCrunch. Like, can you get me into TechCrunch? That's my metric of measure, whatever, some metric that matters or whatever buzzword. You know what I tell people on that one? I what? tell them TechCrunch doesn't care about you. I'm yeah. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, TechCrunch does not want to cover you unless you already have some sort of leading round of funding. If yeah. you want to be in something and you are so woefully ill of what they cover, you don't deserve it. Yeah. You don't yeah. understand what they want. It is a two-way street, right? If they cover you, like they're helping you. What are you doing to help them? If you don't have a good story for them. Yeah. You know how many emails they get a day? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, it's true. I mean, I, and this is what I try to convince people of because I like your whole thing about the, you know, becoming a master of your craft when you're unknown and sort of like doing it as like, you know, doing the reps, you know, like no one, no one ever watches, you know, these guys that are famous boxers or famous athletes, they don't watch the training. They only watch the game, right? But just how many hours upon hours of training it took to actually go play the game. And, you know, the power of, you know, going, like you mentioned, all these great blogs and, and trade press and all of the, the media that like builds you up on that plateau 
to get to the top tier media, all important stuff. In fact, a lot of the top tier media look at tier two and tier three media to say, oh, what's this guy? What have these guys been up to? You know, because again, they want a good story. Like, yeah. And when you're, when you are good enough, they'll come to you. How about that? That is true. That's hundred percent. That, that, that drives, that drives me insane too. Cause I'm also a journalist and some of the tone deaf stuff that I get every day is crazy. As an example, somebody's like, Brian, I love this thing that you wrote, blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at it. I click on the link that they send me of my writing, wherever it is. I kid you not, ma'am, was from 13 years ago. Do you remember anything you did 13 years ago? You <laughs> barely remember what they did for breakfast. I can't you remember, mean, yeah, 13 years ago. They did their homework on that. <laughs> hey, I randomly used some SEO tool and I found that you did this. And er, I have this great other thing. Insert relationship small talk here. Give me a break. <laughs> this is why artificial intelligence ain't taken over yet. And I think some people are just asleep at the wheel, to put it nicely. Yeah. And and I think that's the that's a real I'm glad you brought that up because in in pitching, like you're you're a journalist, and of course I'm like a PR person, so I have to pitch journalists all the time. It is fascinating how tone deaf some of that is. And I also get pitched a lot. For my blog, I mean, that's how you we found each other. You literally pitched me cold, cold email about some infographic that you wanted to put on the Daily NBA. And, you know, you had a really clear, concise, compelling pitch that was very authentic. And you backed it up with good content. I mean, <laughs> there's not a media outlet on the planet that doesn't want something like that as a, a relationship building. And I think you're right. I think it's the, it's the relationship you're building with a outlet, a journalist, even with an investor or your customer, when you're telling and being of service and telling good stories and giving them good content, you know, that's a hard long-term process that takes your effort, not the effort of some AI bot, although I'm sure you can use AI bots to help with the creative process, but that's a one-on-one personal relationship that I think you can't really circumvent. I, I agree with you. I don't think the, the AI can get that. They can't. There's a thing yeah. called artificial, artificial intelligence. So AI is only as good as what you program into it and what you want it to do. Right. Otherwise right. it can do really weird things. I don't want this to get too weird, but let's just say, there have been problems with AI where they really got to reel it in. Like it hasn't tried to like conquer humanity yet, but yeah, just all sorts of weird stuff. But honestly, man, like how many things like that do you think I actually do? And it's not a robot or some stupid email program. I don't actually try to build that many new relationships at once. I do my homework. I look around and I say, Hey, this looks like a really good publication, a really good guy. This, what we do probably fits their beat. So we get really specific and really picky. I feel like a lot of other people, not to criticize in broad strokes all of PR, but for the people who are listening that just dial it in and aren't really trying, you can't just blanket spam a thousand people with the exact same pitch. It just doesn't work. And I guess it might to some level of numbers game, but I think your efforts would bear fruit tenfold if you bothered to care about the person on the other side that has to deal with all these terrible emails all day. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I mean, you know, that's, I think, part of the reason why buying all these lists and stuff just makes no sense. Um, it, it's, how do I put it? I mean, you, you, you put it terrible? pretty <laughs> I think that's it. What was that? I think terrible is the word. <laughs> yes, terrible is a good word. Well, I think the reason why people want to go that way is because this is a hard thing to do. It's it's hard to build a relationship. It's hard to cold email someone and pitch them. It's hard to do the math, the research, the backstory, like build a backstory of something that's actually worth covering and worth pitching. Um, I don't think a lot of people spend enough time like really thinking about their ideas and their story and like how it matters and who it matters to. Um, you know, I always tell people like, again, those clients that are like, oh, I want to be in TechCrunch and blah, blah, blah. I'm always like, well, look, you have to have some sort of value in the world. You have to like show up and contribute to your industry, your community, your cause or whatever. And you have to build a PR capacity 
that shows that you're someone that's worthy of coverage. That is not, we're going to launch our product in three weeks, spam it out to a thousand news outlets. That's a multi-month, sometimes year effort to build those solid relationships. So how do you how do you go about building those kind of relationships? I mean, what what's sort of your you mentioned a little bit about doing the research and seeing if there's a fit, but is there anything else that you could give some advice yeah, on on that? People basically need something just short of brain surgery. Um, I think a nicer way to say that is they need a mindset shift and all kidding aside. When people are too short term and transactional, they get exactly what they deserve, which is the back of the line. Why should anybody care about them? They do not understand what we're talking about here, right? So there's a pretty famous guy who is very well known in the world of sales from a generation ago by the name of Zig Ziglar. Yes, love him. I have his CDs. I had his CDs. Good for you. And I guess we're both probably showing our age a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Talking yeah. about Zig Ziglar, let alone CDs. Yes. But basically, anybody under age X might not have ever heard of this incredible individual. Now, he said so many things that would fill up the rest of this podcast. But the one thing that I really want to focus on that he said before, and this will help everybody who's struggling with getting from X to Y or having a hard time waiting or playing the long game. And they're like, sure, that sounds nice for a podcast, Brian, but no, I don't want to do it. I don't have time to care about people is basically what they're saying, which sounds gross when you say it like that, but that's what they're doing. Yeah. Anyway, something Zig said in a thing of yesteryear, probably a couple decades ago, honestly, he said, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help other people get what they want. So now imagine we change the variables of X and Y to the PR person, you, and the journalist, the other person who's ignoring you because you suck or because you suck today. So instead, like just ask anybody pitching the media, what was the last thing you did to actually help the media instead of asking them for something? Did you them on Twitter? Did you send them a tip jar? Did you retweet anything? Did you support them? Did you bother to read anything they do? Do you know anything about them at all? Do you know where they live? Nothing. I don't mean like tracking, stalking them in their house. I'm just saying (laughs) Twitter or something, like what city they're in. But like people are just tone deaf with this. Like do people even say thanks? Yeah. I don't know. Like just basic etiquette just flies out the window sometimes and crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, Zig Ziglar, I remember I would, I had 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 a long commute um, from, from San Francisco to San Jose when I was working in the semiconductor business, right? Well, you know, 40, 50 minutes one way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, somebody turned me on to these Zig Ziglar CDs. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, he's been, I think he's been dead for the better part of a decade, maybe. And I think his son is kind of carrying on the Zig Ziglar Foundation. And, you know, occasionally you see some of his memes. But the one quote that really hit me, hit home for me about this whole, like, giving other people what they want so you get what you want, which is one of his better ones. But the other one that really stuck it with me when it comes to practicing your mastery in your craft is he's like, if anyone asks you to come speak, go. No matter where it is, if, I mean, you just make an effort, even if there's only five people in the room, it's like, make it a point to go and give the best performance you can and add a ton of value and just practice the art. And he was basically practicing the art of pitching and speaking. And I always thought, gosh, what a great way to like master something. Cause you know, everyone wants like a Ted talk, right. As the example of the pinnacle of going to Ted and giving a talk or TEDx, that's why TEDx exists. Well, you know, if someone invites you to go to a conference, and of course, if it aligns, you know, you can't take them all, but even if it's a conference of 20 people, like just imagine the amount of impact and what you're doing, you're building this mastery. I mean, same thing with podcasts. A lot of people, you know, I, I, I love to go on podcasts where it's like someone's just starting out. They're super young, right? They're like on episode two or three. And they're like, wow, I can't believe you answered me. And I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't I? It's like, well, everyone wants me to gain traction. And what are my growth numbers and how many people listen? And I'm like, well, I don't care about that. I'm like, really? Why? It's like, well, I mean, I was, I was you. <laughs> I have a little empathy and compassion for where you used to be, right? 
that I think, yeah, I love that. And I love, I love the Zig Ziglar reference because I really think more people should just be of service, you know, really. And it's hard to do in this day and age because of the, you know, Instagram life and everyone, you know, it's always sunny and, you know, unicorns and rainbows and everyone's crushing it, which no one is. I mean, it's a hard life and the world, I think, becomes more clear when it comes to that with COVID and everything. But how do you, I mean, with clients, I mean, how do you like, do you have to set expectations on what you do, how it's going to come about? Or is it just been like, oh yeah, you know, Brian knows his stuff. We're just going to kind of trust him. I'm just curious how the evolution of that happens because as you mentioned, you know, making something legendary <laughs> is rare, right? Sure. Okay. So one more zig thing. I just got to, <laughs> so, because it really goes well. I love the one you picked. I like the one I picked. I just got one more. Okay. Come on. If you'll permit me. Oh, and we could talk about Zig Ziglar all day. That's right. He talks about how there is no elevator for success. You've got to take the stairs. Now I'm just teasing everybody to see more because you have to see what's on each stair, right? It teaches you everything about the work ethic and incremental steps that you need to understand what we're talking about. Because otherwise, you're not able to play this game. I'm not saying we're better than everybody listening, but we approach things in a different mindset that we are building more off of that. But yeah, back to your question. So if you make things that are legendary, everybody wants to put a quarter into the legendary vending machine and have a little pocket of legendary. So I tell people that the reason that some of the things that we did were legendary, some of it's luck and timing and all the things that we're trying to do going right. But a big part of it is we have good ideas and you should, if you're hiring us to make these things that are great, you probably should listen. So if you want to use me and the team as a giant magic marker political battle <laughs> on the internet, um, yeah, therapy might have been cheaper or something. I don't know. I'm not really sure like why <laughs> to tell them what to do. So right. sometimes I say, well, I'll just like, I'll call a meeting and I'll be like, listen, do you want to be right? Or would you like this to be successful? And then they're like, oh, I see what you did there. Okay. And again, like we don't own the patent on creativity. We can be wrong, right? We could be off a little bit. So I find that when people do not clip our wings and want to be good accountability partners, that's really when it works. But yeah, I mean, honestly, like some people might just be kind of greedy and they're like, hey, like I also want a $64 million baseball a basketball contract. And it's like, all right, well, like that's not a foregone conclusion, right? <laughs> like it's, we can predict a level of success, like how much success is really kind of what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. That what he's referring to for everyone listening, which I'll put a link to the show notes is the uh, money ball for basketball play that you guys did, which was, I mean, being in the quasi publicist for professional athletes realm, was just brilliant because a lot of, you know, that kind of brand building, like a lot of these athletes, they love to build their brand is just a lot of hard work that you got to find a good angle and you got to uncover the story. And that's what you guys did with that, which was really pretty phenomenal actually. And I I've always loved when, um, you know, that doesn't, again, that's a legendary thing. Of course, doesn't happen that often, but I also think, that the more you practice your craft, the more open you are to help people, the more, um, like you said, like, don't clip, don't clip your creatives wings, like let them, you know, fly or let them spread their wings so they can do what they do best. And I love the whole, Oh, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be successful? I got to start using that line. I'm, I'm definitely going to steal that one from you. Listen to that because it's important. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't understand. Like, just because it's like pixels on the internet or marketing, like, because you can't touch it, it's not real. Like you walk in, like your car's broken. You don't know anything about cars. You go to the mechanic and you're like, don't do that. Do this. You go to like the plumber. It's like, no, I don't like the way you're snaking out the toilet. Like what's wrong with you people? Like you're hiring these people because they have expertise in something. So the internet is not BS. There are people who are good at it. There are many people who are faking it. So obviously you like do your homework and make sure that people have like a whole bunch of success stories, 
But yeah, like allow people to do their job and don't do their job for them. Sometimes when people are getting all into the weeds, I'm like, wait, don't you run the company that does this? I think I'm the one that makes the infographics. And again, like you have to, when you approach it with that style of humor, I said something that I'm kind of being a jerk, but because it was delivered kind of comedically, I get more of a free pass with it. It's just yeah, a- yeah, especially if you've got the chops to back it up too. And and I think the confidence too. I mean, I think this it was interesting because I read this, God, who was it? There was this one website called Better Briefs or you know, creative briefs. And it, they did this study, and I don't remember the exact numbers of it, but the one thing that just struck me as like, wow, was you know, when you do creative stuff, you create a creative brief or a marketing brief. And if you have an agency, you know, your marketing team creates this brief and gives it to the agency. And then the agency looks at it and says, okay, we're going to build some creative. And it was like, they said, this one question was, um, I know how to write a creative brief. I paraphrase. I don't remember exactly. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. And it was like marketing department, you know, uh, like the creative briefs that we generate are, are, are great or grid or whatever. And the marketing department, 96%. And then the other question was the creative briefs we get are meet standard as a creative agency. And it was 10%. <laughs> so this massive disconnect between, you know, like telling the creative people what to do, but then yet having this thing, well, yeah, I'm good at this. And I think this is the problem, right? Like it's same thing with, with PR and marketing when it comes to a tech startup. Everyone thinks this is just a growth hack away from success. Everyone thinks that, oh, we'll just throw some ads at it. And, you know, this marketing stuff is just all buzzword bingo, two drink minimum, bullshit bingo, blah, 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 blah. Any idiot could do it, right? Well, it's not true. I mean, and, and I, I can say this from experience because I used to be that technical guy that thought this marketing and sales thing was just, you know, left to the casual observer to figure out, right? And And it's you have a new appreciation for it when you, one, you see good people doing it Two, I think you put your ego down and say, look, I'm not good at everything. And a lot of tech founders think they're good at everything, right? I think this is, especially if they got lucky in certain things. Um, so I'm curious, you know, the next generation of entrepreneur that's coming up and trying to figure out like if they want to do this, this job. So what questions should they ask themselves about it? Because, a lot of times, a lot of tech entrepreneurs or even non-technical people, like they have to build a business, they have to get PR marketing, they have to, you know, get the word out. And I'm curious what questions you'd have them ask themselves about this process and about like really how to how to either build their business or how to think about it. All right. Well, not everybody's gonna like everything I've <laughs> Ooh, this is even better. All right, cool. Um, usually when people start telling me, bragging, saying that they've got this amazing idea, I'm like, why on earth would you want to be an entrepreneur? Like entrepreneurs are probably like 10 times more likely to want to kill themselves. Like it is lonely. It sucks. Like you have to be the kind of person that like one hour of the day, your name is in lights. The next hour of the day, like all the systems are down, everybody's mad and you're chasing money. I mean, it's like, it's horrifyingly unpredictable. It can be inc- incredibly satisfying, but it is so much hard work, especially the first year or two, right? I mean, you really have to get over a lot of gates. So I tell people like, just don't be an entrepreneur. You might have a good idea, but especially like if you're saying you're like some tech founder that doesn't have a personality to be a people person and the social butterfly and network and get into PR and stuff. If you can't be the showman or your co-founder isn't, you have no business at all being an entrepreneur. Go back into the mothership, get your nice safe check every two weeks and just work for somebody. There is a mountain of difference between being a, I cannot say this enough, so I may have to say it like 10 times and feel free to cut it, but like, honestly, there's a huge difference between being a subject matter expert and an entrepreneur. A subject matter expert means you're good at code or you're good at graphic design or copywriting or email marketing or whatever. Running a business, (laughs) like if you can't write contracts, if you can't negotiate, if you can't collect the money, if you're basically just like a freelancer and there are predatory companies out there that love freelancers because they just 
basically screw them over all the time. And that, I mean, that's a whole other level of crazy, but there are opportunistic people everywhere waiting to take advantage of you because you're patting yourself on the back because you think you're an entrepreneur. I've seen people, they're entrepreneurs and not even making money. What do you mean you're an entrepreneur? You have a hobby, right? Go to work for somebody else. There's a good book, let me interject here, by a guy by the name of John Acuff, by the name of Quitter, not Twitter, that's the social network, but Quitter. And to ruin the book for you all, Quitter says, don't kill your day job because your dream job has not evolved enough yet. I think a lot of people do that. Like everybody's always like, yay, you're quitting your job. Wow. And you like give them a cake and everybody applauds. And then you're just like, uh, do you have a plan? Do you have like a bank account? Do you have clients? Yeah, right. <laughs> Right. If anybody, anyone else like did this in life, you would think that they're a crazy person. But somehow entrepreneurship over the last several decades has become glorified. You know what people used to say about entrepreneurs like in the 1950s? You're like a snake oil salesman. You'd go door to door and sell people vacuum cleaners and encyclopedias and everybody would slam the door in your face. There are entire countries that don't value entrepreneurship, which is why a lot of people come to America to do it. So it's a societal weird thing that just has evolved because probably a lot of people did things right. But like America is really the birthplace of entrepreneurship. And this dates back to a few hundred years ago when people basically rebuilt the world when you're talking about electricity, heating, railways, transportation, all that kind of stuff, oil. That was really the first game of entrepreneurship. So it kind of evolved as a cult, a curse, but also a cult of personality as time went by. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we, we as a society here in the U S you know, the rugged individualism and the, you know, don't tread on me kind of stuff. I mean, it's got, it's good and it's bad, but yeah, it's very akin to the entrepreneur spirit. And I, I appreciate you uh, warning people <laughs> about not getting in the game um, if they're not ready for it. Um, and I love that a piece of advice, you know, Hey, don't go, you know, jet, you know, don't jettison your day job for your dream job when your dream job's not ready. And I see a lot of people do that. And I think that's the power of, you know, the side hustle and really trying to understand, like, is this a viable business? And there's, you'll have so many great ideas that will completely fall flat um, because ideas are a dime a dozen. The execution of said idea, that's where the magic happens. So Brian, boy. We could talk for hours, man. <laughs> we just talk for hours. I really appreciate your time. This is just such a great, uh, great conversation. Yeah, man. I mean, I wish more people would not be entrepreneurs and actually listen to that. But you know what? Honestly, the people who fight back and they're like, oh, yeah, well, I'll show you. I do have what it takes. I'm going to work really hard. I'm like, ah, right answer. Good job. Keep on it. But yeah, I think, you know, failing fast, failing early. Um, experimentation, trying out new products and services and stuff. That's everything. But once you kind of find your spot, instead of just shifting around, really try to attain mastery because, you know, just running off with everybody's money. I mean, I guess bank robbers do that and might be a career for some people, but <laughs> good luck when we're talking about marketing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's uh, so true. Boy. And we even got some Zig Ziglar in, which uh, just... Ah, love him. So thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Stay safe and uh, good luck in the future. Likewise, sir. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This is a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Brian, for an awesome interview. I truly enjoyed it and loved hearing your story about how you got to do what you're doing today and just all the awesome things that you're working on over at Now Sourcing. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Brian. Don't spam potential connections. It's better to take your time building relationships and shit. Show that you are truly interested in and care about the people you reach out to. I mean, seems obvious, <laughs> but uh, can be a bit of a challenge when you're trying to grow and scale and everything. And, you know, there's lots and lots of people that, you know, will sell you email lists of, potential clients or potential relationships, but uh, Brian's points way, uh, right on. I think you need to authentically want to reach out, curate 
the kind of contacts you want to be involved with and then uh, truly be interested and helpful. So know that being an entrepreneur is different from being a subject matter expert or being a freelancer. Being an entrepreneur means taking control of and responsibility for all aspects of your business. Yes, indeed. You have to know a little bit about everything or um, as some people say, you know, I know enough to be dangerous. Um, doesn't mean you have to do it all, but you, you're responsible for it all if you're running a business. So um, it's it, different if you're just freelancing, you know, selling your time for money. But if you're really trying to build an entrepreneurial type business, then yeah, you got to know a little bit about a little bit about everything. So failing often at first can help you figure out your sweet spot. Once you've found that, work hard to create mastery Keeping in mind that, as articulated by Zig Ziglar, you can't take an elevator to success. You've got to take the stairs. And this is so true. There is no real quick way to the top. You always are going to have to sit there, grind it out, build up your expertise, your mastery, you know, as... Brian says, um, hopefully you can do that uh, in private. So, you know, not a lot of people can see a quote unquote mess up. But um, yeah, Zig Ziglar is definitely one to look at if you want more on that. And uh, that sort of shows our age, Brian. So, there you have it some actionable insights that I learned from my awesome interview with Brian. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.